You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, your 30-day money cleanse to take control of your finances and de-stress your money with Ashley Gertzley. T-minus 10 seconds. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast. We are up to episode 107. I'm so excited that you're here. Now, if you have been listening to the podcast in real time, meaning like each week it comes out, then you already know that we have been doing some giveaways, some book giveaways over the past couple weeks, and I'm giving away another book this week. So you get a book, you get a book, everyone gets a book. (laughs) Okay, maybe not everyone gets a book, but here's how it works. I have been interviewing my fave personal finance writers over the past couple weeks, including Ashley, who you'll hear more about. And Ashley's book, The 30 Day Money Cleanse, is the book that I'm giving away now. So if you're listening to this in real time, this episode comes out on July 24th. So the giveaway will be open from July 24th to July 30th to win Ashley's book. So you can do that. You can enter to win the giveaway by going to journeytolaunch.com slash win. Just enter your name and email to enter into a chance to win. And I'm not only doing that, but I'm also, if you sign up to enter into win the book, you get access to my free resource library. And it's about nine workbooks and worksheets that I have in this library that you can use to better your finances. And I'm doing this because I know not everyone obviously is going to win the book, but I wanted to be able to give you something for entering the contest. And usually I ask that you leave a podcast review or like my Facebook page in order to win a book, but I'm not even doing that this time. I wanted to make it super simple, super easy because I really just want to continue to give back to you, continue to pour into you so that you can reach your financial goals. And besides, we just celebrated our two-year anniversary a couple episodes ago, a couple weeks ago, and you guys have been just really encouraging and helping me grow this podcast. So I want to be able to show you that I appreciate you. So if you want to get a chance to win Ashley's book, and get access to the resource library that I have for free, which has nine resources and tools and worksheets in it. Just go to journeytolaunch.com slash win, enter your name and email, and then you will get access to the resource library and then be entered to win the book. Now, of course, I'm not asking you to do the podcast review and Apple podcast, but I always love that you leave reviews. So if you can, just out of the goodness of your heart, I'd love if you can leave a review and also continue to share this on social media with your family and friends or send a text. You guys have been killing it with the word of mouth and that's really how the podcast is growing. And let me tell you something. I have been hearing from people who know people who know people who say, I heard about your podcast from someone and that's how I found out about it. And that's how I started listening. And that's the best way to get the word out there, to enlist your family and friends to come on the journey with you. Like they want to hear from you. So if you're enjoying it, just continue to share the podcast. Now follow me at Journey to Launch on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. That's where I hang out. You can always screenshot that you're listening and then share it and tag me so I can see. I always love responding and just seeing you guys listening and devouring the episodes. Now, just a little bit about Ashley before we get into this. 
Ashley is the creator of The Fiscal Femme. She is out to end inequality through financial well-being. And she created a 30-day money cleanse program, which is now a book, to help thousands of women cultivate harmonious relationships with money and achieve their financial goals. Another kind of just tidbit about Ashley. Ashley actually enlisted me to be a part of a video that she did where she was doing a spoof on Ariana Grande's seven rings called Savings. And it is hilarious. Like this is a full-blown music video that I'm in with Ashley. I'm even dancing in it. So you have to check this out, guys. I'm going to link the video in the show notes. So go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 107. It's the spoof with Ashley and a couple more of your favorite personal finance folks. We are in there kind of cutting up a rug, uh, dancing and singing about money. So, well, I'm not singing. I'm just like doing like a little two-step, but I think it's so funny. So go check it out. Now, without further ado, please check out and enjoy this conversation with Ashley. Hey, Journeyers, really excited to bring you this conversation with Ashley Feinstein Gertzley. Did I get that right, Ashley? Close enough. It's Gersley. Gersley. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so I'm really excited to talk to you because I have your book, The 30 Day Money Cleanse, and checked out your website. And I really think this will be a benefit to my journeyers who are looking to jumpstart their finances, especially those in the beginning stages of their financial journey. So I wanted to bring you on the podcast to talk more about your journey and the book itself. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so glad that you love the book. Yeah. And I, so before I press record, guys, I was telling Ashley that I really love the way this book is laid out because typically I'm a lover of all like things, finance and books, but a lot of times it can be a bit boring and plain and there's no jazz or like sprinkle of just coolness or making it appealing visually. And I love the book because it is very uplifting visually. Like I just love the design of it. So good job on that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I was lucky that a really good design team took my weird sketches and made them beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. So it's cool. And I like that about the book, but even apart from that, right? Like not only is it visually appealing, but I like that the concepts and the content is really good. So I really want to talk more about that because I really think this will be helpful So the overall concept of your book, The 30-Day Money Cleanse, it's really a way for people to take hold and charge of their finances in 30 days, right? Yes. So you're creating a new lifestyle that lasts long after the cleanse, but it's the reboot. And the idea is that first we have this money mindset shift. We work on our relationship with money, and then we really align our spending with our values And that makes our lifestyles feel bigger and better and more fun, but we're saving a lot more money, which is always good. Right. And I like the fact that you can see the parallels between like a food cleanse, like a diet almost cleanse, because those are like the two, not biggest things, but for a lot of people in terms of the happiness scale, if we know we were healthier or diet wise, ate what we wanted or did not eat bad things versus like money, spending too much, not earning enough, like all those things, money and food have big impacts on our life. So I like the parallel and the comparison where you're saying just like you would maybe do like a 30 day fast or a 30 day diet, even though I don't really like the term diet. This is like a 30 day money cleanse. It just makes it more relatable, I believe, to people because then they say, okay, so I get this. Like I can actually like take these steps within 30 days and change my finances. 
Yes. And food and money are so similar in the, and in a lot of ways, one, you mentioned that they impact us. They're really emotional for many of us. And then there's so much more than about the numbers. The numbers for food are very simple, just like with money, money in, money out, food in, minus food out, or minus calories in, minus calories out. But if it were just that simple math, we wouldn't have so much struggle and there wouldn't be a billion dollar dieting industry. Right, right. Now, I do want to touch upon your story because your background is what prompted you to write this book. And you actually had a finance background, a strong one at that, but you still had issues with money. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So it's pretty ironic. I studied finance in college at Wharton and then went into investment banking and then switched into a corporate finance job because I I knew I wanted to do my two-year investment banking program, but went in knowing that after two years, I wanted to get all that experience and meet great people, but that the lifestyle wasn't probably going to be for me. And I took a pay cut and I made the switch and I had all this newfound free time to make up for lost time because when I was in banking, I was working on average probably till midnight and eating dinner alone at my desk. So I made up for lost time by going to events and seeing friends and going out for drinks and dinners and workshops and bled through my money and my lifestyle was completely unsustainable and realized I knew nothing about my own money, despite all that finance background and thought like, if I don't know about money, and I have this background, then really, who does? (laughs) And I found not very many people. Right. So this prompted you to really dig deep with your finances. And that's what you translated in the book. And I do want to talk about a lot of the concepts or as most as we can get in this conversation. But, you know, a few stick out for me. And one, and I've talked about this before in the podcast, is this concept of diminishing returns when it comes to happiness. Mm. Because I feel as though a lot of us experience that or think that making more money will help in terms of happiness. And at a certain level, yes, when they say money can't buy happiness, in a way, sort of can, you know, you you need your basic needs met, right? So we're not talking about extreme poverty here where people can't pay bills type of happiness. But once your basic needs are met, and then even if you have a little bit more to spend to acquire the nice to haves in life, at a certain point, making more or having more doesn't necessarily lead to long term happiness. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. And I think so. I actually was speaking at my high school yesterday and we did an exercise where I said different words like money, wealthy, millionaire, billionaire, and happiness was a word that came up for a lot of the students. And yes, money is a great tool to have and experience what we want in life, but to tie money and happiness really gives money a lot of power. And we set ourselves up for repeated disappointment because as we get more things and and people find this. I actually end up talking to a lot of people who think as soon as I earn more, I'll finally start saving. I'll finally start enjoying my life. And then they get a raise and that's still not happening. And they think, oh, maybe it just wasn't enough. And then they get another raise. And that's kind of when it hits them that maybe this wasn't the answer. And so there's research to back it up. There's, um, and then of course we experience it in our life that we, if you, I forget who said it, but someone was talking about when we're on our strictest budgets back in college, like we experienced so much joy. So exactly as you mentioned, when our, as long as we're not talking about poverty, where our our needs aren't being met, there definitely is a diminishing, diminishing return. And the mindset for me there is it's already enough or it's never going to be enough. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you talk about early on in the book, it's like one of the foundations of making this cleanse success is the mindset shift that has to happen and awareness. So 
let's dig deeper into that because unless you have that together, then nothing you do will really change. Yes. So when people are successful in their money cleanse, and I notice in their financial lives, two big things I see shift for them in their mindset. The first is that money becomes a gift. Almost, It's a radical act of self-love rather than this have to thing that we really don't want to do that we're fighting against. So this chore, this, ugh, I don't want to deal with it. We realize that getting what we want and prioritizing our finances is this gift. And that really changes everything for us. And then the other one is a shift in our growth mindset. So this is a concept that I learned a lot from Carol Dweck about that we are in different areas of our lives. We're either in a growth or a fixed mindset. And a growth mindset is where we believe that our abilities around something can improve and grow rather than our fixed. So when people say things like, I'm just bad with money, this is something I never thought that I could deal with, that's a fixed mindset because we don't believe that we can get better at it. And so when people start to believe that over time they can improve, it's not going to be, will never be perfect. It's a journey for sure, but that over time will improve and change. There's a lot more forgiveness and almost looking back on the things that happen in our life as a detective, how could I make that better rather than, oh, there you go again. You're never going to get this right. Mm-hmm. And I've heard this saying, and I, I like that you said, it. you look at it as a gift and like self-love and, and approach it from a sense of gratitude. And there's this quote or this way of thinking about things instead of saying or thinking that you have to do things, think about it that you get to do them. So even like if a bill comes or you have to go to work, you know, most people will complain, you know, I have to pay this bill, I have to go to work. And if you change your mindset around it and say, I get to go to work, you know, I get to pay this bill, you it shifts like how you look at what you are spending money on and just money in your life. And so you look at it more as a, a as a from a position of power and as a gift where you get to go to work versus some people who don't have a job. You get to pay this light bill versus people who don't have lights or not having the money to be able to pay for it. And that shift, I think, is really powerful for a lot of people if you start looking at things that way. Yes. And and essentially, you're starting it in that change in the language, which changes how we think about it. So getting to, choosing to, those are much more powerful words. Right, right. So one of the things, again, like sticking on mindset before we go to like the actual things to do for people to do is like the belief systems. And that, like we're saying, you know, there's a certain belief in attracting wealth and then and maintaining it and certain beliefs that keep you from it. You know, and I want to make sure when I say this, because I've been actually like in my content and thinking about the way I frame finances is I want to make sure that when we are talking about the mindset stuff, you know, we're not talking about like, again, poverty and people who are systematically oppressed, because there is a lot of that still going on in this country and the world. But in terms of self-responsibility and what we can do from our positions, what can we do? We can help change our mindset. And so, which is, which is why I love talking about mindset. So when we talk about attracting wealth and keeping wealth versus not attracting it and keeping it away, what are we talking about when we think about that? Yes. And I love that qualifier because I think it's so important and we have so much working against us. Even people who are very privileged, there's still so much working against us. So it's, I think in no way do when we take control of things, are we blaming ourselves for where we are? It's a no wonder where that a lot of us are not saving, but there's no really power in that. So then we, we say, okay, hope we're going to start 
one by one, hopefully changing that um, system more broadly. So mindset, mindset. So some of the beliefs. So if we think about our relationship with money and our beliefs about money, they are formed starting from a very young age. We are modeled things by our parents, by our mentors, by our teachers, by our community, by our society and our experience. And these all make up how we view money and how we view how we interrelate with money. On the surface, we might think that we love money and we want a lot of it. But as we do some digging and we might churn up some pretty negative beliefs. And so an example, there's a lot of common ones, but one I think I hear the most often is that we kind of equate money with greed. And there's also a lot of um, interesting biases around wealth that I actually, going back to my workshop yesterday, I had students when I said those different words, a lot of words like millionaire, billionaire brought up images of bald, old, white men, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was interesting. And most of the names even that were brought up were older white men. So that also is interesting, our representation and view of what wealth is. But if we view, and so a lot of words that also come up for us around wealth are corruption, greed, these negative things. And if at my core, I believe that wealth is greedy, even if I really want it and know that maybe I would do different things with it, I'm going to have a hard time either earning it or I'll be able to earn it, but I won't be able to keep it. I'll end up spending it all. And that can feel very futile. It's like this hamster wheel struggle if I'm not changing or working with those beliefs that are, are deep down about, about money. If someone notices that about themselves, how do they change it? Is it as simple as recognizing it in yourself? Or what are some steps that anyone can take to say, okay, I, I secretly do believe that greed is an attribute of wealth and I have these negative emotions around it. But how do I change that? Yes. So I really do think awareness is one of the hardest parts because there these things are just so part of us. So that's why I like the looking at what comes up for billionaire. So for me, a lot of times in money exercises and just in general, taking something to extreme helps me see things that I might not notice in a less extreme. So then we definitely want to have that awareness, which we're talking about. And then sometimes that's enough because sometimes the things that we, we, we are like, what? That's absolutely ridiculous. I don't agree with that at all. And then other times, you know, we think, well, I kind of do agree with that. And that's where we want to start either finding proof that it's not true or even proof that it might not be true if it's something that we strongly believe. And we can do that just by our research or talking to people who have different beliefs than us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Okay. And so when it comes to now, let's say starting this 30-day money cleanse, I like some of the things that you point out in the way you frame spending and thoughtful thinking about money. And so one of the things that you talk about is creating happiness allocations as opposed to budgets. And I think that's really good because so many people, the board budget is just not, it's not something they enjoy hearing or doing. And I get it. I'm actually the same way, despite the fact that I actually want people to have some sort of budget or spending plan in place. Like I get it. I get that it's not the most attractive thing to be doing, but the results of it are amazing once you do get it. And so can you talk about this concept that you have about happiness allocation? Yes. So it's kind of like when you said you hate the word diet, same thing with the word budget. And um, it also really ties into that mindset shift and the language that we were talking about and feeling that something's more powerful and that we're choosing it. 
budget for me, like I, when I hear it, I literally, I like curl over and cringe and feel like <laughs> expenses are being pried for my hands. <laughs> it sounds really restrictive. And there are a select number of people who can work with a really restrictive diet or a really restrictive budget, but most of us, it backfires. And as soon as we make a mistake, um, it's like over really restrictive. We make a mistake. We eat a piece of cake, then we eat the whole cake. And the happiness allocation, I believe, is just a much more fitting term for the word because that's all that a spending plan is. It's we have this this amount of money that we get to allocate, a pie of money at any given time, and we want to allocate it in the way that's going to make us the happiest in the short and long term. So maximizing the joy we get per dollar spent. And when we look at it that way, that's another helpful way to reframe all of this work as being a gift to ourselves because we're gifting ourselves happiness in the way we allocate and plan with our money. Right, right. And can you go through some just examples of it just so people get an idea of exactly how it's different from a budget? Yes. Okay. So a happiness allocation looks like the simple math is very similar to a budget. It's money in annually that actually hits your account subtracted by money out annually. And that's what's left over is available for your goals. But what happens within it is where the magic happens because it's all about making sure that we're maximizing this joy per dollar. And so there's a lot of ways to do that. The first is just knowing where our money's going because most of us have no idea where it's going. And we have a tendency not to not want to know and technology makes it that much easier not to know, honestly. So when we, first of all, back to the awareness, as soon as we see where our money's going, there might be some changes we make right away. Like there's no way that this is bringing me joy. I, I'm doing it out of habit or I'm doing it because other people are doing it, or I didn't even realize I was doing it, or I have this subscription that I'm not even using. And then there are things that we don't realize are actually having an impact. So for me, I um, did this exercise. I'm a fan of looking at all of our expenses annually, because I think that information can show us what the true impact of our expenses are. And one exercise I did when I was in my corporate finance job, I really thought that I couldn't afford to take a vacation. And I was getting a latte every single day for $4.30, which is now more expensive. And when I added it up, it was almost $1,600 a year. And that was more than enough to take the vacation that I wanted. And so when I saw that I could reallocate that latte money to something that I thought I couldn't afford, that was really powerful and eye-opening for me. And I started drinking the coffee at work that was free and it tasted really good knowing that I could now take this trip. And I, I went on a trip to Spain with my cousin. Mm-hmm. I love that. And, and besides too, I think a lot of people struggle with that is that daily or the immediate happiness or return on a purchase or spend versus that long-term delayed gratification. And so framing it where you see the actual annual amount of a spend is good, but it doesn't also mean you have to like give it up completely, right? Like, so you can say, all right, maybe I won't drink coffee every single day outside, you know, and buy it, but I'll allocate two days to buy it and save the three days that I'm not buying and put that towards the vacation. Yes. One of the win-wins about this is that when we do things less often, they become more of a treat. So with my latte, when I was getting it every day, I would get annoyed if it wasn't the right temperature. It wasn't hot enough. They forgot my order. They didn't have it out waiting for me. And so I wasn't actually getting that much joy from it. So what's really cool is let's say I decide, and this is a, an extreme difference. You can also do twice a week. But if I decided instead, I'm going to have one latte a month and like really enjoy it. 
that's $60 a year. That's such a big difference. And I'll get a lot more joy from it. The other side of this is I believe personal finance is very personal and we all value different things. And in my money cleanse, there are people who look at their coffee and say, I spend 3000 a year on my coffee, but it brings me so much joy that I'm going to continue to have that. And that's 100% okay. So there's no, the point of that all these exercises are not to make you feel guilty or to make you feel like you have to choose one option or the other. The point is for us to take an honest look so that we can choose consciously and intentionally what will actually bring us the most joy. Mm -hmm. And it's so powerful when you can do that because so many people don't understand or don't know or are just doing things blindly. And I agree with you. Like for me, it's not about not ever spending money or not indulging and just enjoying life, what I value in it. And so, yeah, I'm going to go out and buy a drink when it's not happy hour. And in living in New York, sometimes that's very expensive and I'm okay with that. And, you know, we're okay with going to restaurants, but it's, it's a conscious knowing of, okay, I know I'm going to spend this and here is like the trade-off. And that's another thing you talk about, which I like is the opportunity cost in making a purchase. So can we go through that and how someone can start looking at their opportunity costs of purchases? Yes. And just one thing, because you mentioned how powerful a spending plan is. And I think your example of being able to go out and enjoy something is such a perfect example of why we think we're cheating the system by not having a plan but we actually end up feeling guilty about all of our expenses because we don't know if we can afford to do it. We don't know if we're going outside of, if it's taking something else away from us. Like if we don't know what's going on, we don't actually get to enjoy the things that we're quote unquote treating ourselves to. So if you have a plan and you build that lovely drink or cocktail into the plan, then you can go and really, really enjoy it. And having yourself be robbed of that, it's not worth it. So opportunity cost the unfortunate reality is that we can only spend every dollar once and we deal with opportunity costs all the time with our, really with our time. We're making decisions every day. If we go to a restaurant and I, we decide to share a dessert, we don't get to try the other desserts and the same goes for our money. So when often, when we look at what the annual cost of something is, we, we can say, okay, I don't know if I, that, that doesn't make sense. That makes sense. But then sometimes we look at the annual cost and we're like, all right, that's a number. I'm not 100% clear still on if that's worth it to me. And I think the opportunity cost exercise is really helpful because it's not just looking at something in terms of numbers. It's looking at expenses in terms of other things that we could buy with that money. So for me, if my opportunity cost was travel, I thought more travel would make me really happy, then I could look at all of my expenses in terms of what kind of travel I could do instead, and then have another point of reference to decide if it's truly worth it to me. Mm -hmm. Like the concept of you can afford anything, but not everything, especially not at once. And I love that you said that you can only spend a dollar once. So it's funny because people would say, you know, they want to have it all and do it all. And I get it, right? Like we kind of, we want to indulge in all the things we like, but to be realistic about reaching goals, you have to prioritize and figure out what's number one or what what brings you the most happiness, what brings you the best value. So I think for everyone, it's once you get that, it's very, very powerful. Okay, I hope you are enjoying today's episode, but let me just take a quick, quick moment to tell you about today's sponsor, 
gusto. You witnessed my journey to uplevel my life, my finances, and now you're actually watching me uplevel my business. I went from being an employee to being self-employed, and the next step is becoming an employer. Hiring people to not only help me bring my vision to life, but give them opportunities and outlets to help them support themselves, their families, and their own dreams. And so I'm always looking for tools and ways in which I can effectively run my business. So if you have a business or you know someone who does, you probably know that small business owners wear lots of hats. And some of those hats are totally great, but some like filing taxes and running payroll, for example, are not so great. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and HR actually easy for small businesses. Fast, simple payroll processing benefits and simple management tools all in one place. Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes so you don't have to worry about it. Plus, they make it easy to add on health benefits and even 401ks for your team. Hello. So for my journeyer business owners, now you can get three months free when you run your first payroll. Try a demo and see it for yourself at gusto.com slash journey. Once again, that's gusto.com slash journey for three months free. All right, let's get back into this episode. Another thing you talk about is expense buckets. So this concept, I believe a lot of people know for the most part about mandatory versus non-mandatory expenses, right? Yes. And what you talk about with the expense budget, what I like is that some some things are both. Whereas we want to say, okay, no, it's like either it's mandatory or not, but some things can. And for some people, it's that pull, that tug of war that says, well, I know it's not necessarily mandatory, but for me, it is. And so can you talk about like what that looks like? Yes. So one of the cool parts about the money cleanse, I think when we uh, we made the analogy to a food cleanse, and one of the reasons I don't often join food cleanses is I'm like, eh, I bet you're going to make me not drink coffee, right? And um, so I have these non-negotiables that, I've, that have me not want to start. And the cool part about the money cleanse is you get to decide how intensely you cleanse and what is frivolous or what you give up. And so one of the first exercises we do we lay out all of our expenses, where money is going, and then we bucket them into a need, a frivolous. And I think the word frivolous gets a bad rap. It doesn't mean it's bad. It just means we don't need it. And then this non-sure bucket. And I think the not sure bucket is what trips us up when you're talking about this push and pull. Like, is my yoga membership a need? No, but it is kind of for my health. So how do I manage that? And an example I give in the book is around taxis because often when I when I speak with people, they'll have these, well, it's not a need, but. And the but is often this detail that really helps us categorize something. So I might view taking a taxi at, or an Uber or a Lyft as frivolous, but at a certain time of night, I might believe that my it's much more safe and I'd rather take that Uber or taxi, maybe it's after midnight or after 10 p.m. And so I, as I get more detailed, I can split that detail into, okay, taxi before 10 p.m. is frivolous, taxi after is a need. And I can be very, I think, planning out and just being very clear. So you don't have to do it for everything in your life. But often, if we're looking at the next week, and making that plan, okay, are there any things that I'm not sure about that are happening in the next seven days that I could really drill down and and get detailed with? Mm, This is, I think, going to be really helpful for people, because I know, especially from speaking one on one with clients and working within just people who reach out to me and they want some advice about their spending and their finances. I get that a lot. Whereas like, okay, I do take Ubers and I'm telling them, okay, so can you cut that back? And it's like, well, 
you know, a lot of times it's because, you know, it's raining or it's like bad weather or I don't feel safe. And I get that part of it, right? Like that to me makes total sense and why then someone would revert back to taking a car service. But I love like if you are forward thinking, if you set some boundaries up, you you can ask that the person or ask yourself if this is for you. You say to yourself, okay, but in advance, these are the kind of stipulations. If there's then like the Excel, like if then statement, if this happens, then that, right? <laughs> like yes, getting technical there. But I, I love that if someone can sit down and write that out as much as they can, they'd be better equipped to ask themselves these questions before taking that Uber. So, okay, it's nine o'clock and taking the Uber is the easier thing just because I don't feel like it versus like, you know what? I want to save this trip because I know maybe next week there may be a bad storm or it may be late and I want to have to take the Uber or I want to be able to. So therefore, I'm going to save this time for when it's more necessary. Right. And we when we have those stipulations, then we don't get to make ourselves fail. Because often if we end up not planning for that and then we take the Uber at midnight, then we can say, oh, I already blew it. And we we tend to punish ourselves. And I think also what's funny is we tend to think of before that mindset shift that this is a gift, like going over in different areas feels like we're indulging in a way. But going back to the opportunity cost, we're taking away from ourselves in other areas. And another kind of depressing at first, but then very liberating realization is that we can't out earn it. So even billionaires have to make choices with their dollars. They can't afford everything. So I think there's this view, it's not fair. We want to afford afford everything. But to realize like we're going to be making these types of choices, no matter how much we're earning is liberating at first, maybe a little depressing. (laughs) Okay. But actually, as you said that even billionaires can't afford anything, I'm like, really? What can a billionaire not afford? (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's think about like a really big project. They couldn't buy a country. I saw the recent um, videos even, well, this is more millionaire status, but Cardi B was talking about her $300,000 a month expenses and how she can't cut them down. And of course, like this is not to say that her lifestyle is not completely different, but she's experiencing those same things, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And if a billionaire wants to buy a country, you know, like, or um, they have like eight foundations that they want to support, like they might have to cut it down. They can't feed every human in America or if they can, but maybe can't buy houses for everyone. So there are still limits and regardless of it, what it's for. One of the things you say too in the book is this concept of the expense onion, which will probably help a lot with if someone needs to now buckle down and look at, okay, they're spending and just cleansing things out, this expense onion. So can you go through what that is? Yes. My whole philosophy on this is that all of this shouldn't be hard because as our mindset changes, it becomes fun to let things go. And if we're pushing too hard on ourselves and it's not fun, then we might not be ready to let go of it. So the expense onion is this idea that when you think of an onion, those outside layers are crunchy and just fall off pretty easily. But then when you start to try to go into the inner layers, they're still like, I don't know, live and don't want to come off. And so if to you, giving up that rainy Uber feels like, no, I'm not ready for that. That is a need then it might be too restrictive to take that away or let that go right now. And that is okay because it's not, as we talked about this growth mindset and this journey, over time, you're going to be letting go of things that you never thought you would think are frivolous. And that's the really cool part of the journey as long as we let it happen. So there's no need to force it. There's no need to like 
not do things that are killing us not to do or making us miserable because when we let go of those easy things, they can make a big difference. That being said, in the first week of the cleanse, one of the cool parts about cleansing is that when you let go of things that are frivolous, you you might notice that you don't miss some of them. And when you don't miss something, that probably meant it wasn't that worth it to you. So switching up our routines can be really helpful in seeing what we miss and what we don't. And if we miss it, we can, of course, add it back in. But if we don't, then what's the point? Right. And this is all about just being conscious. This is what the concept of the money cleanses. It allows you to reset for those 30 days and then add back in consciously what you do enjoy, right? Exactly. I know you ran this money cleanse. So before it was a book, you did this as something through your site and blog, right? And I'm curious to know what like, were some of the biggest transformation or aha moments for people who have done this money cleanse to maybe inspire someone who should think about doing this. Yes. Okay. So how the money cleanse came about, it actually is a course still. So it started in 2014 and it has been around for, I guess now four years. I still launch it twice a year. So it's kind of like, it's very much based on the book, but just a deeper dive and there's accountability and, and I'm involved in it. And the reason I turned it into a book is because the results were just really amazing because I incorporated this whole food cleanse with the trends I was seeing over and over and the people I was working with. And and like you mentioned, the people who are reaching out and asking for help. The average person in the program saves $950 in 30 days or 20% of their pre-tax income. And because it's a lifestyle change, money cleansers save a large portion of that going forward. So that's even probably more exciting than the actual savings in the 30 days. And I'd say the even more important are the emotional benefits. So getting to feel less shame, less guilt around money, more confident, more peace of mind, and then just getting to have and experience what you want, because that's the whole point of having money anyway. Mm -hmm. And it's almost going back to what you said before. And what I echo is personal finance. It's personal. Everyone is different. So for example, you talk about cash diets and how that might not be for everyone because in the personal finance space, there will be um, some thought around, okay, only carry cash or this will help you if you create like cash envelope systems. And it very well may help um, a lot of people doing that. But in a certain regard, some people do horrible with cash. Like I'm one of those people where if I take out money from the ATM, I feel like it goes quickly. Like I'd rather spend on my credit card actually. So you talk about how like cash diets are not for everyone and that's okay. Yes. And I feel like that's something that's, you know, not ideal about the personal finance space is a lot of it is like very dogmatic. Like this is how you should do it. And even if that was a system that works well for someone, we don't respond well when people tell us what to do. I find it works a lot better to say, here's what I know. Here's, here are things that have worked for people. What will work for you? Like here's some education. Here are some things to think about. And then people take it on on their own. So cash spending is one of those things. So some people, when they spend in cash, they feel a lot more conscious of where their money is going. They have like, it's much more painful to hand over 20s than to swipe a credit card. But for other people, there's this difference where once the money is out of their account, it feels like it's already gone anyway. And so there's this feeling of the cash is like almost like monopoly money. They already spent it. So it's no big deal to spend it. And those are that actually decreases the pain or the consciousness of them spending money. And it does the opposite. So to have that awareness, or if you have no idea, test it out and see how it feels. If it feels like the cash is making you more conscious or the cash is just flitting from your fingers, (laughs) you can probably 
figure out which one you are pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Again, guys, this is all about taking agency over your life and money. There are so many good points or things in this book in, in general. But one of the things that you talk about is money parties and setting out specific time to get this done. Because here's what, like, I know a lot of people listen to my podcast and get very inspired by the concepts. And they're like, yes, we love it. And then maybe they turn it off and then nothing is done. Right. Like, so (laughs) what I want people to implement, my biggest thing is I want people to actually implement and execute what they're learning, what they're getting inspired by. So money party, which you're going to talk about in a bit is one of the ways to do that. So let's talk a little bit about what that is and how someone can implement that. Yes. So action is everything exactly as you said. And one of the reasons we just don't create time for dealing with our money and the things that we know we want to do, like maybe it's a, run- a one-off task, like rolling over our 401k or looking at our spending, they kind of hang over our heads and then don't get done and we're just stressed out about it. And there's this concept called Parkinson's law and it applies to our time and our money. It applies to everything, but it's this idea that things take up as much space as we give them. So our junk drawer fills up, our calendars fill up, our expenses fill up, our bank account if we don't get the money out of there. And so what we want to do is actually carve out the time in our calendars to deal with our money. And in the mood and philosophy of making it fun, I've created money parties. And so what that looks like is I recommend having every two weeks or every month. So if you do it every month, you're just going to have more to do. If you do it every two weeks, you're doing it more often, but it can be shorter, is time in your calendar in that interval, and you can move it around, but just to have that time carved out to deal with your finances. And I recommend having a running agenda. So this is also great in relationships so that money is not a conversation. If you're fighting about money or you have points you want to bring up, it's not constantly in the foreground. It's something that you can discuss at your money party. Like, oh, I had a question about our banking. And if it's not urgent, let's add it to the agenda. So you keep your running agenda let's say any random things that come up, taking a look at your spending, how that looked compared to your plan over the last two weeks. I like to do like a net worth check-in. So what do I have? What do I owe every quarter? How am I doing against my goals? Those are some different things that can happen at your money party. And then setting aside that time, doing it, and then making it fun. So have your favorite beverage, put on some music, get comfortable, reward yourself. So we, it sounds silly, but we work really well with rewards. And that might mean after your money party, you go out for a date night or you meet all your friends and do money party together and then go out together or even just watching a show or taking a bubble bath, some type of reward for setting aside this time and giving yourself this gift of dealing with your finances. Mm-hmm. And you you bring up a good point because this involves like changing habits and implementing new ones, like positive ones. And I had James Clear on the podcast who wrote Atomic Habits. And one of the things that he talked about and just a concept in general is the habit stacking. That is basically if you want to create a new habit. So if this is not something that comes natural to you, if you know you put it off to like checking your budget or your spending plan or whatever you want to call it then tack it on to another habit that you already do. That's not a resistance or make a reward happen after this habit that you put off. So that way there's like an immediate kind of benefit and payoff so that your brain is more used to or more receptible to this new thing that you're trying to implement in your life. So I like that. Yes. And I think make it easier. So for example, your first money party doesn't have to be two hours. It can be 
I'm going to do these three quick things over 30 minutes so that I get that win. I think we get very motivated and excited and sometimes bite off more than we need to in order to get started. And then we get better at doing money parties over time and we get more efficient at them. And so the definitely don't feel down if you get less done in the first one than you hope, because it's something, it's like a muscle that we built over time. It will be like, oh, bing, bong, got my spending. Now, next thing. But at first we might be like, what are the passwords to all of these accounts? <laughs> right. Like literally like that might take you the first money party or like that might take you because that even happens to me. That's what I'm saying, guys, like no one even like has this all figured out. I don't care who you are. Like everyone's still learning on the way. And so one of the things that's interesting is that sometimes like you said, we are thinking about the big thing to do, like the big end goal. And then because the little steps we take sometimes seem so small or so like, why did I waste my, like I just spent a whole hour just on phone with customer service trying to log into my account, but no, like not knowing that that is necessary. Like it is necessary to move ahead and to do these things and you're doing a good job. Like it's good. It's, it's good enough for now. You try again the next time and you keep making small strides towards your goals. Right. You know what a great example of this is retirement. So when we look at what we want to save to retire, it can feel so big and daunting. It's like, what's the point of starting? And what's the point of saving a small amount? But our progress doesn't have to be linear. And we build momentum and the steps we take have more and more impact. So trusting, like, it's not like, oh, here's my goal and I need to divide it by 30 and that's what I have to be doing right now. That is one way to look at it. But if that seems like way too big of a chunk, know that your progress can really escalate over time rather as you take these small actions. Right, right. Okay, Ashley, this is all amazing. Um, So thank you so much for sharing this knowledge. And I really hope everyone goes out and checks out your book, The 30 Day Money Cleanse, but let everyone know where they can find out more about you, follow your work. Yes, you can find me on all social at The Fiscal Femme, F-I-S-C-A-L-F-E-M-M-E. And that is also the website, thefiscalfemme.com. And I'll be sharing some fun guides that will help you make over your finances in 48 hours. And then also a fun seven day jumpstart that gives you those tidbits of action. So one step you can take every day for the next seven days that will start building that momentum in your financial well-being. Right. And I will link all that in the episode show notes. Thank you, Ashley, once again, for coming on the show and sharing all your knowledge. Thank you so much for having me. I loved our conversation. Okay, I really hope you enjoy the conversation with Ashley. If you want a chance to win Ashley's book, go to journeytolaunch.com slash win. Not only will you be entered for a chance to win a copy of her book, but you'll also get access to my resource library where I have about nine tools and tips and resources that you can actually use to better your finances, no matter where you're starting, your starting point. So go check that out. And again, you don't have to do anything, but go to journeytolaunch.com slash win. And if you just want to get Ashley's book, which I highly recommend, go check it out. I'm linking all that in the show notes at journeytolaunch.com slash 107. And don't forget to watch the video that Ashley did where I am dancing and we are all talking about savings. <laughs> now, don't forget to follow me at Journey to Launch on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Share with me that you're listening to the episode. Say hi. I love saying hi back. And until next week, Keep on journeying, journeyers.